Welcome to another episode of Hoopsology. I am Justin Goodrum, joined by Matt Thomas. What's up, man? What's up, man? Doing well, enjoying these finals so far. We'll talk about that, of course, a lot on today's episode. How are you doing, man? Good, man. And I want to ask you a question. I just want to make sure this is correct before I kind of lose my mind about this. Um, have you seen, you know, when we're in the, you know, growing up, we stayed, the big traditional thing about the NBA was the intros and the player intros every single game in the national anthem. Have you seen that during this finals or no? Have they just gone straight to, they do kind of their, the sappy, remember all the memories intro, whatever they do, and then it goes straight to the game. Is that's how it's been happening? Just want to double check. That seems to be the case from what I've seen so far. I mean, maybe you guys can correct us if, yeah. if we're wrong for sure. Okay. But uh, the beginning of, of the games that I've caught, that seems to be the case. I, I'm not seeing these big dramatic player intros. Okay. Kind of miss. Me too. I think it's a huge mistake by the NBA's part. It's a, I think it's a huge part of the identity of whatever team has the finals kind of showcases the city and the players. And I don't know why they don't do that anymore. It's the finals. So that is TV time makes zeros. Like not having enough TV time is preposterous. You can just make time. <laughs> so I don't know why they stopped doing that. But anyways, it's just been on my mind because I know it hasn't happened within the first, within the last few years. Of- yeah. And especially since fans are back yeah. right now, you know, it's it, it would be something to get everyone pumped up, and it, it makes the broadcast better, too. It does. Agreed. On uh, today's show, we're going to break down a deadlock NBA Finals with a series tie 2-2. Uh, Matt and I will give our analysis and break down who has the advantage in Game 5. Um, and then also we'll break down this Giannis block. Some people are saying this is the greatest block of all time. Um, We'll talk about that. Um, and we'll have our predictions again for game five. And we'll break down a lot of Team USA drama. The Olympics start pretty soon. Plenty of drama going on with the men's team. The women's team lost to Australia. The men's game got canceled. Uh, we got a lot of roster changes. So um, we'll break that down and give our thoughts in terms of the USA um, can defend there are three consecutive gold medals in the Olympic Games. Um, first, um, some housekeeping notes real quick. You can catch us on the Off the Glass Basketball Network, full of great podcasts um, covering the 76ers, the Miami Heat, the Boston Celtics, and more. Um, and don't forget to email us. Uh, we're available at whosologypod at gmail.com. All right, man, let's get into it, and let's hop into the NBA Finals. you got kind of a breakdown and recap of what's going down so far. Yeah, definitely. So as you all know, if you listened to our last episode, Phoenix kind of steamrolled those first two games. They were closely contested at points, but Phoenix comfortably drove what was in the driver's seat in those games. And now it's flipped to kind of the complete opposite. This series, I would say, got more physical in Milwaukee and You've seen that play out. Um, Giannis has been amazing. He was incredible in game two in spite of the loss. And then game three has has another great game. Um, you know, 40 point, 10 rebound type game. And game four, not, not as impressive maybe from a scoring perspective. Wasn't uh, dominating quite the way he was, but Chris Middleton had, I believe, 42 points in game four. And Giannis still had like 26, 15 boards and eight assists. So it's not like Giannis had a horrible game or anything like that. No, not at all. 
Um, you know, we can talk about kind of whatever you want. One of the the big stories in game four, we'll get to the honest block, but the the officiating, I think, was also uh, I, I think frustrating at times is how I would put it. Uh, if you're following along with me on Twitter, that that was something I was tweeting about frequently was just kind of the inconsistency of calls. You had some things that were like a, a trap that the, the sun set at the end of the game to try to steal the ball where they barely even touched the bucks player and the refs called it right away. And then you have, Devin Booker slamming into Drew Holiday as he drove to the basket towards the end of the game. And presumably, it kind of seemed like because Devin Booker had five fouls at that point, the refs held their whistle. So frustrating to watch. But I, I do want to say first and foremost that, you know, on the basketball side of things, great to see the Bucks showing signs of life. And I guess from the basketball view, what were your thoughts on on these last two games? I mean, do you agree? Was it kind of more physical? What what were your takeaways from games three and four? Yeah, a lot more contentious. Game three, uh, it, it is what it was. I think kind of a um, that the Bucks pulled away kind of in the second half. Um, yeah. It was good to see game four just be competitive because I feel like these games, I it's been fun to watch from a home court advantage standpoint because the fans are into it but in terms of like a competitive series we haven't really seen that until game four so that was cool to see um i think a couple of things one is what's 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 going to happen with chris paul that turnover was just absolutely brutal um and i think the Giannis block i think they're both related right the Giannis block and the chris paul turnover because whoever wins and loses that's going to reflect positively or badly if the Suns lose that's going to be a black mark on Chris Paul unfortunately even though I think him going to the finals especially with the series being 2-2 and the Bucks, I think being the one of the favorites um of this season I don't think it should really hurt Chris Paul's legacy I mean he's not playing awful so mm-hmm. I think but that turnover is just going to be brutal um and I think with the Giannis block, you know, in a similar situation, you know, if the Bucks lose, I think that block's irrelevant. I, I mean, people are freaking out online. I think we're on the same page as that. Um, and I think if they win, that'll be the most iconic, probably the most, most iconic sports memory in Milwaukee sports history, quite frankly. I mean, the, the way the Kawhi shot was <clears throat> in Toronto, that will be for Milwaukee. I mean, so I think I, I'm excited that finally we saw a game where it's just contentious. Um, between both sides and finally we saw Devin Booker go off it was a bummer to see him in foul trouble um, I think I know I might be moving on a little bit but in terms of a prediction standpoint the Suns have to win this 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 game five here oh yeah they lose they're done it's over um, and I think the Bucks will win game six so overall um, it pretty much played out the way I thought with just the home court um, I, I just want to see for the rest of the games moving forward, both these teams playing at like the same capacity and not a lot of blowouts. I think it's, it sucks when you see just a lopsidedness in each game. Um, but I think it speaks to both these teams. I mean, there's a lot of inexperience. I mean, these these are you know, this is a very new thing. The NBA Finals, it's a different ball game. The, the pressure and the intensity, your legacy, it's it's a different. And so I think we might be seeing that. So we'll see if, if game five is a lot closer and game six and game seven is a lot more competitive. Maybe what we saw the first first half of the series is just 
pretty much some nervousness um, just kind of being in this new environment. Because, I mean, you have to add to the fact that we've been in a pandemic. <laughs> I mean, these fans have been, you know, hunger just hungry for the seeing live basketball let alone the nba finals so it's just double duty on that i mean how, how do you feel um do you have do you have a new feeling with this series just based on what you've seen or do you just stick with your prediction i i think this series is likely going seven as you mm-hmm. predicted it seems like right now home court advantage is a huge deal it, it seems like the from the fans and the role players, the way that they are stepping up at home yeah. is a factor. And then also the officiating seems different just on different courts. <laughs> you had an amazing stat that Chris Paul has not won a, an NBA playoffs game where Scott Foster has been the official. He was the head official <laughs> in game three. Uh, so... You know, it, it feels like both of these fan bases, obviously, I, I mean, the Suns never having won a title and the Bucks having won their title back in the 70s. Um, you know, it it feels like both fan bases are so hungry for a title that it might be enough um, of a pull to be affecting this officiating too and, and the way the games are getting called. I And I'm not saying that I think the games are being called in an unfair way, but even Monty Williams spoke up against the refs uh, for game three. Now, in my opinion, that the reason that the Bucks got so many more free throws in game three was just plain and simple that they're the more physical basketball team right now. Uh, kind of like, you know, LeBron get used to get grief about this as well. I believe against the Spurs, he, he got some grief about how many free throws he was getting. Um, you know, when you drive to the basket, not not a lot of players are slashing the basket like they used to. Yeah. And Giannis is doing that. So he's going to get free throws doing that. And I mean, we can we can argue call by call, you know, what what is truly a foul and what isn't a foul. But at the end of the day, when you're aggressive, good things happen to you. And the Bucks have been more aggressive the last two games. And I think that's been the difference. Yeah, Matt, I, I want to ask you, you brought up Giannis and free throws. This has been a point that's been brought up. We haven't talked about this, but I think it's appropriate. Are you? Do you have a problem with the way Giannis um, shoots his free throws, the whole uh, over a 10-second routine, just the way this, the whole thing in terms of him just practicing his free throw stroke before he goes to the line? Is that a big thing to you? Do you not care? This is blown out of proportion. What do you think about this? Because I hear about it every single game. And I forgot to bring it to you. So clearly, it doesn't mean so a lot. Glad. To me. I'm so glad you asked this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, I do. For one thing, you have 10 seconds when you're yeah. on the free throw line, and he's clearly over that. Oh, yeah. I do enjoy when he's, you know, in Phoenix now oh, or the last series in Atlanta, how fans are counting it out. That, that be has thing. been really fun and yeah. has actually made the games more entertaining during the broadcast to hear the fans counting them out because otherwise you're just watching this guy setting up for like you said 15 20 seconds to get a free throw off and free throws are already such a boring part of the game you know i mean it's necessary but it's a stop in the action uh you know that's that's one of the reasons you hear a lot of complaints or or at least used to hear a lot of complaints when james harden was in houston that oh gosh it's boring because he either shoots a three or goes to the free throw line and free throws are boring, blah, blah, blah. Um, 
but I, I think also getting into kind of more the like shooting mechanics, uh, it's weird to me that Giannis takes so much time to practice his free throw. It's almost like I, I think he gets in his own head taking that long to shoot a free throw. So that those would be my two thoughts is number one, it's against the rules. Number two, I think it gets Giannis out of a rhythm every yeah. single time he goes to the line. I haven't noticed too much. Um, and I haven't looked close enough to see if there's uh, a break in his shooting mechanics, but you would expect that there would be a greater degree of error, taking more time to think about your free throws like that. Sure. That's true. That makes sense. He's kind of like overthinking it. Um, I do think like um, I, to me, it was kind of just a simple solution that um, Jeff Van Gundy said is like, you know, just enforce the rules. Like you said, Yeah. like, like what is, I don't understand. He's clearly over the 10 seconds every single time. And it really, I think dilutes why you have rules. Like if you're not going to enforce yeah. them, like to me, no other players doing this. So I don't understand why he just gets to do a whole tap dance routine before he goes to <laughs> a free throw. Um, Thank so, you. Yes. <laughs> I, but it's weird because it doesn't, I don't know. I think because it's so entertaining. I'm of two thoughts. I think they should enforce the rules, but at the same time, the opposing fans doing the countdown, I find it so entertaining. I kind of don't want it to happen. So <laughs> I'm like, I'm of two ways because I just, it was kind of, you know, you're right. It adds a lot to him at the line. It creates more drama, in my opinion. So, and I think even the Milwaukee Bucks fans know, like, even, you know, I think they'd try to like chant MVPs, like boost his confidence a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, but it's, it's just, a, it's a weird thing, but I'm kind of for Weakness it. in his game, for it sure. Is, for sure. Yeah. But I think at the same time, let me just see what his free throw percentage is. Um, as I, I think for me, it's one of those things where, you know, he's a big man and despite his struggles at the free throw line, like, He's not as bad as Ben Simmons, who's a yeah. It's not so, like he's like Shaq or something. No, 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 no. But I think to just the rules should be enforced totally. Yeah. Speaking of which, you know, I think to go back to an earlier point, sure. like you, you mentioned that Game Four by far was the best game of this series from a drama perspective, from sure. a contentious play perspective, from a physical play perspective. And I totally agree. It was, it was really enjoyable to watch because everyone was trying hard. <laughs> everyone was playing yeah. pretty sure. good defense, pretty physical ball. Mm-hmm. And the frustration was again, the consistent officiating. Like if, if Devin Booker, you know, they they call a very, very weak foul call on Devin Booker that gets him his fifth foul. And so then it's it's kind of this makeup call situation when he when Drew Holiday is driving in, like I mentioned earlier, and he slams into him with his body and they hold the whistle. And it's it's things like that. It, usually I am on the ref side. I, I will say that because I think basketball is so difficult to officiate Agreed. and many sports fans will acknowledge it's, it's the most difficult game to officiate just because it's so quick right in the moment. You got to be right on it and you might not have the best angle when you're officiating a game, but consistency is, is the key here. Like I think if you're going to call ticky tack fouls, if you're going like if someone's just putting hands on someone in the post and you're going to call that a foul, do it the whole game. Like I, I don't, I don't care if it's five seconds to go in the game. Do it the whole game. Yeah. Um, and and my preference 
given how physical this game was, given that the ratings in this game were the best of the series so far, I I would say don't call those ticky tack foul Agreed. calls. Let them play physically. Encourage physical basketball. Let this carry over to the regular season. I, I know teams aren't going to play like it's the playoffs in the regular season, but look, we we were talking about this off air. This translates into international ball too, where you see these players not getting the ticky tack calls they're used to, and it's hurting them in the international game. So the NBA as a whole, and they are for the record reviewing rules. They're going to review the rule. Uh, I talked about it on a solo episode. I think Justin, uh, where, you know, you pump fake and the guy jumps and you slam into him as you're shooting to get a foul call. They're reviewing stuff like that. Call it the James Harden rule or the Trey Young rule. So hopefully they also can realize that physical basketball is what the fans want to see. Try not to call ticky-tack foul calls. (laughs) Make sure it is truly a foul and you are 100% positive that there was extra contact if you're going to blow the whistle. That that would just be my opinion. Yeah, we're on the same page. I agree with you. I think... If anything, the number one thing in my mind with officiating is consistency, right? So yep. if you're going to be like really stringent and strict, you know, be consistent all the way, both teams. If you're going to let them play, which I think me and you prefer, let them play, just swallow the whistle, don't call it. I think that makes it more entertaining. I think there's the game's free, free flowing. And then also you don't have the, the – to worry about the challenges and all this other foolishness that happens at the end of the game. So overall, I think we're on the same page. I think the inconsistency, that's when players get upset because it just goes into one bit controversy after another. Um, if you're not just being consistent as much as possible. Absolutely. So I mentioned the, the ratings briefly. Did sure. you have anything else to recap before we get into that? No, go ahead, please. Cool. So, Looking at the finals ratings, this is Wikipedia again. (laughs) Come at me. Um, So the ratings have gone up as the series has progressed, which is great. I don't have too many thoughts on this. It's it's been a competitive series, so we've seen uh, the ratings go up. But you look at game one, eight and a half million viewers here. Game two, almost a million viewers more, 9.38, almost 9.4 million viewers uh surprisingly a dip in ratings in game three but probably because the suns were up two games so uh 9.02 million viewers and then they're still finalizing the results but i have seen several sources saying that 10 million viewers just over 10 million viewers was reached for game four which makes sense it was the best game and also the most pivotal game to this point uh, that that the Bucks really had to win or the Suns could have a commanding lead in that series. So the most pivotal game. I don't have too many thoughts on this. I'm glad we've hit into the double digits. It's still, you know, in terms of, let me just scroll down. Uh, I mean, it looks like Golden State and Cleveland was, oh no, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. That was at 19 million viewers. <laughs> so if I'm scrolling down, 
it's still the lowest in quite a while since game four of that series we alluded to back in 2007, the Spurs and Cavaliers, which was 9.91 in a closing game four since uh, the Cavaliers were swept in that series, really had no business being in the finals, (laughs) to be honest. But um, so, you know, they are the lowest they've been in a long time for a game four outside of the irregularity of the bubble season last year, which was in the fall. Um, But the numbers are getting better as we go along in the series and small market teams. I don't know. What are your thoughts just in, in seeing those numbers? Yeah, not too much to add. And what I alluded to in our our previous chat about this, Um, like you said, small market teams, I think Giannis not being like a ultra popular player, um, and then also to as well as Chris Paul and Devin Booker among sports fans, basketball fans, they're popular, but among the casual viewer, something that's going to grab like my dad, who's a very, very, very casual sports viewer. He's not going to know who Giannis is. I heard his name a couple of times, let alone Devin Booker, maybe Chris Paul. And so in terms of making him watch, probably not compared to if there's more of those sexier names. And I think, you know, previously, um, even though last year you did have the Lakers, I mean, they're facing a very, very inferior Miami Heat team. And I don't think the narrative of them being a Cinderella was totally pushed due to the bubble. So I think that led to those ratings being low as well. Um, I think another thing to keep in mind, too, is what's what's on TV that night. Like that plays a huge role into those ratings. So um, if we see a dip with one game compared to another, what's what else? What other competition is up against it on television. I think that is a factor, but I think it's good to see it rebound. Um, I think hopefully we'll see an upward trend. And I think that bodes well um, for the upcoming seasons where we have other newer stars, because I think the league is in a sense, it's in a phase of transition right now. Um, you know, LeBron doesn't have too many years left. And really of his peers, you know, he's the really the only one that is still actively playing. I mean, we have a lot of new guys in the league. So um, I think the league's kind of in a state of flux. And I think these low ratings, I think we're probably going to see it within the next few years just due to the all these new, new stars that are going to be um, playing deeper into the playoffs. Yeah, I think you're right. It's kind of like shifting gears. You know, you, you kind of dip a little bit. It happened when... Jordan left the league. It's going to happen when LeBron, the generational talent, um, starts to um, get towards the end of his career. I mean, we may we may have a couple more years of LeBron. We don't really know, yeah. but it it may not be a couple more years of LeBron in the finals. So mm-hmm. things are things are going to change. To your point, I, I would definitely agree with that. And um, yeah, let's. Um, Go back to that Giannis block. Sure. And you covered that a little bit in, in your kind of opening statement about the finals. Yeah. And um, let me just show a picture from SI. Yeah, good get, shot. Get rid of this ad here. <laughs> um, so this is the block. Uh, for those of you who didn't see it, Devin Booker started with the ball. And he was at the top of the free throw line and Giannis was guarding him. He lobs it up to Aiton. It appears to be a wide open alley-oop. And then Giannis hustles back, changes angles, uh, leaps into the air. I mean, it only takes a couple steps for him to do that. And it's, in my opinion, pretty rare to see a blocked alley-oop from a it big like Aiton. Extremely rare, yep. 
And just, um, I mean, first thing I want to say before getting into any comparisons, anything like that, it just flat out beautiful defense. Like I, I was screaming in my seat when that play happened and it, it was, it was definitely the best play of the game. I, I think, um, there was nothing else that topped that. No. And the hustle was great. The defense was great to see it. It felt kind of like a, a throwback in some ways. I, I felt the same way when LeBron had his crucial block against Iguodala or when LeBron blocked uh, Thiago Splitter uh, from the Spurs. I don't know if you remember that one. That was another I one am. that was brought up in these comparisons. Yeah. But, I mean, great defensive plays in the finals. So I think first thing I want to say is just as a play, it was an incredible athletic and defensive feat. Now, having said that, a lot of people like you mentioned and like you and I talked about before jumping on here, there's, I think, a bit of recency bias with the importance of this block. First and foremost, it wasn't at the very end of the game. So it's it's not like it decided the outcome of the game. It. It was, I think, momentum changing for the Bucks. I think it played a factor in in their win, but I don't think as big of a factor as other blocks that we've seen in the postseason. No. Um, the other thing, to your point that you mentioned earlier, is it happened in Game Four. That that makes it tough to compare it to like Elijah blocking John Starks in the 94 finals when that was at the buzzer to save the Rockets from elimination, even though that didn't close out the series, it was still a much more pivotal moment. Uh, the LeBron block was towards the end of the game in uh, that game seven of that series and set up Kyrie for his game clinching three pointer uh, just a little bit after that play. So I I don't know. There there's two elements here. I think I can rank Giannis up among the top final blocks in terms of like degree of difficulty and execution. I think that's totally fair. In terms of importance, like you said this this may be forgotten within 5 years if the Bucks don't win this series. So in terms of importance, to me it's it's ranked below a lot of the other blocks previously mentioned. Um what are your thoughts on, on this block? Oh, we're on the same page. Like I said earlier, it's, it's a great play, phenomenal play. And I think as we said off air, if you know, you'll see YouTube compilations, the best finals plays, um, this will be on the top 10 list for sure. But like you said, Matt, I mean, you know, which plays me more is game seven when they, when everything's on the line and just by de facto of that, it, 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 it just won't be number one. Um, and I think with the bucks lose, in terms of NBA history, it was be considered a ah, cool play, but the Bucks lost. <laughs> so not too much thoughts. Awesome play by Giannis. Um, I think it demonstrates, you know, what kind of a physical specimen he is and how great he is as a defensive player. Um, I think in terms of, you know, when his Hall of Fame speech, I think it's safely to say he'll be in the Hall of Fame. I don't think that's a stretch. Oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah. Um, I think this will be on his highlight reel. But um, other than that, I, I don't see it being – um, a massive, I don't know. I, I just the way people were talking about saying this is the greatest block of all time, and just people are losing their minds. I, I think we have to pump the brakes on that. So, yeah, I, I don't know. There, I mean, I can't think of finals examples from the top of my head, but 
like blocking the alley-oop in my opinion is what makes this the coolest as far as the ground and as well as the ground that he covered yeah for sure in order to block it like that's that's what makes this cool i mean there are other blocks you know like players getting swatted and the ball flies out of bounds i think those are always cool so i, I don't even know like among if you if you look at all blocks in history like i i don't know that this is like one of the coolest it's it's up there but in i i'd have to go back and watch more highlights um because there are so many contentious plays at the rim from the 80s and 90s and i think that's what you know people we're seeing on twitter may not be taken into account is we we get so few plays like this that are contested at the rim in modern day nba I, i mean at least comparatively speaking yeah, there are guys that can protect the rim. I mean, Brooke Lopez is one of them on the same Bucks team, but it's it's not the same as like Ewing going at Robinson or Matumbo going at anyone like in the 90s. It's it's just a different error because excellence at rim protection is is a rare skill now. You know, you've got Rudy Gobert, you've got Giannis can be a good shot blocker. I mean, for his position, but he's he's not a true center. No. Um, so you just you just have less instances of it, which I think also makes the Giannis block kind of stand out and and seem maybe a little bit bigger than it actually is. Yeah, true. Yeah, not much to add there. Um, great play, but um, TBD in terms of its significance. We'll have to see which team wins. Absolutely. Did you want to give us a a quick? recap on team usa was there anything else you want to cover in the finals yeah no um i just uh prediction game five i think the suns i think like i said before, oh yeah it's going seven <laughs> i got the suns so i don't think that's anything too much and you know sticking to my guns yeah i think your prediction is is looking pretty solid i you know I, i'm not gonna sit here and pretend like i didn't predict suns and six so i'll still go with that but i <laughs> i do think suns will win in game five. I think it's, I I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's pretty rare that you have a team as good as the Suns and a team that starts two and O lose three games in a row in the postseason, Uh, especially now that we're back in the two, two, one, one, one game format. It, it seems almost impossible for the Suns to lose in game five, especially if Milwaukee is relying on, Physical basketball, I, I think more calls will go the Suns' way. You might see players get in foul trouble. Um, and also, outside shooting for the visiting team tends to tends to dip a little bit uh, compared to in front of the home crowd, um, especially with like role players. So if Middleton steps up again and has more than 40, or if Drew Holiday decides to show up on the offensive end, <laughs> or arguably maybe the first time in this series, maybe it'll be a different story. But yeah, I, I'm with you. I think the Suns have to be your favorites in game five coming back home. Yeah, agreed. Um, let's move on to some Team USA talk. And this is kind of a developing story. So I won't go too much into it because just due to the pandemic and COVID, I mean, as no dunks put it, I was watching then it may not be Olympics. So um, just the way things are going with their state of emergency and everything going on with the Delta variant. I mean, things are really up in the air, but as we know now, um, Team USA um, had, I believe four scheduled exhibition games. They lost one, 
they blew out Argentina in the other one, and then the Australia game got canceled. Um, and so in terms of the players, uh, they have two new additions. That's Kelvin Johnson of the San Antonio Spurs and JaVale McGee of the Denver Nuggets after um, two players were ruled out. That was Bradley Beal, and then it's Kevin Love due to his calf injury. Um this has kind of been like a weird process because um, this team's currently waiting on players from the NBA Finals, and that's Milwaukee's Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Devin Booker. Um, and I don't know. I should have looked this up. I'm not sure if Giannis is going to play for Greece. I'm not, I don't know about that. Um, but in terms of the of this team, this I think it, their struggles is due to just in terms of the environment of the international game. Um, and what we're seeing is kind of like this, the second tier of NBA players. Now that's not bad. I mean, we have Kevin Durant on this squad and obviously to me, he's one, two in terms of being the best player in the league. You could easily argue that. Um, I think the problem is cohesiveness of this team. The problem is size of this team and the problem is defensively of this team. And like we said off air, man, like you you, you brilliantly put during this, this podcast here that the, the days of the, the Team USA flopping international competition is over. And they're going to have to be cohesive to play these teams. And Max Kellerman pull it, you know, you have other international teams. They play together longer. They're more cohesive. And we've seen in a March Madness tournament style format where anything can happen. Basically, have you seen in the tournament, we've seen a lot of talented teams. They lose to maybe that lower seed that's been together for four years that have, you know, a bunch of seniors on the team. Similar situation with this. And also a lot of these guys aren't familiar with international competition, unlike their other peers. So I think that's a recipe for them to to lose in, in shocking fashion. Um, at the same time, I think a few years ago, I would be like, you know, USA is a disgrace and, you know, all the typically what discussions happening on Twitter in terms of, you know, bashing this team. But internationally, as I put it, you know, and I think I was talking to our friends about this, the rest of the world's gotten better. Look at Africa, right? They have a NBA Africa League and look how many players from Africa are coming over and playing in the NBA, like Nigeria, like or Stephen A. Smith was, you know, pretty ignorant and mispronouncing their names. A lot of those guys play in the NBA. They're not scrubs. They, you know, they play at the highest level. And so you're, you're going to see African teams. You're going to see, continue to see European teams develop. You're going to continue to see Australia. Matt, you know, you know about, we know about Australia players because of New Mexico. <laughs> How many players did the Lobos right. get from that, from Australia? A bunch. So I think, and look at Team Canada. I mean, they have a great team too. So days of just us destroying every single team is over. And honestly, I'm shocked that the USA, you know, they handled um, Argentina the way they did. That kind of surprised me. So overall, I just think it's weird because I think a lot of these complaints are coming from kind of hardcore NBA fans. But you should know the league you're watching. I mean, it's, it's filled with international players. So what do you expect when the team USA plays international competition? So I'm not surprised. I'm not bummed out or sad or outraged. It's kind of nature of the beast. And I think in terms of solving this issue, I think you're, you're going to see maybe team USA take inferior players and have them play more cohesively. So those are my thoughts. I'm not worried about this. I think this is a developing story. Um, I think, 
we'll know more when the U.S. travels to Tokyo. I think they leave. I think Brian Windhorst said they leave Tuesday. So that's another element. I mean, you, you don't have Booker, Drew Holiday, and Chris Middleton. I mean, they're still playing the NBA Finals, and they have no rest. And they have a long flight to Tokyo. As my brother can attest, that is a not an easy flight to Tokyo, let alone going over there to play international competition in the highest level. So um, I'm not too concerned about this. I don't know, Matt, do you have different thoughts? Should I, should, should I be panicking about the state of USA basketball? What do you think? Well, a couple things. I, for one thing, I'm usually kind of a pump the brakes guy. Like, okay, everyone getting outraged about Team USA. Let's chill. Let's wait until they actually get into the actual games. I know sure. that you see like 30 plus wins and only two losses in their history and they're you know, one and two in exhibition play. So I, I get the sense of panic there. What I would say to concerns about that, it's it's fair for Coach Popovich to be criticized. But what I would also say is that this year is such an outlier and the formation of this team is very unorthodox compared to years past. Like you said, the guys have not had time to play together and gel. They're just kind of being thrown on the court whereas these other teams can actually develop a strategy and that helps when you're playing in team sports. I don't, I don't know that's if true. that's a hot take, but that's true. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, the, just rolling out the ball and, and playing and like, Hey, KD, could you score 40 for us? You know, might, and that's not happening either. I mean, I think these guys also, view themselves in very individualistic manners. I mean, look at look at KD building himself up as an enterprise. I, I don't know that there is as much incentive for him as maybe in years past to go hard on Team USA as well. He's got a lot to prove in Brooklyn next year. You, you'd have to imagine yeah. that's on his mind. Yeah. And that's not me ripping on KD. I, I think that extends out to any professional athlete that's on this team and they all are professional athletes. Um, so I guess, you know, I, and I certainly wouldn't dispute that the rest of the world is getting better at basketball. That that's clear. And what I, what I would say is we should still be the favorites coming into this tournament. Just if you have Durant and Lillard in your starting lineup, that is still more talent, in my opinion, than Australia's roster. Who Agreed. Agreed. That is still more talent than Nigeria's roster. That is still more talent than anyone. Just looking at those two guys. You factor in Bam Adebayo, who you see on my screen right now. You factor in Zach Levine. You factor in Drew Holiday when they come in. Uh, Draymond Green, even and the way he can hopefully have more time around those guys to be their defensive kind of kind of linebacker, sort of middle linebacker for that defense. Um, I think this team is going to get better as they go along. So I, I still certainly would not be shocked if they win at all, and they still should be the favorites going in with the talent on the roster. But we're seeing that time together is important. What I wanted to ask you, what I find – most curious about all of this is what is what is your sense of how much these players care about playing for team usa do you do you think this is a big deal for kevin durant bam Adebayo? i haven't seen too many headlines that would tell me otherwise but do you think 
if if they lose in the tournament, is that a big deal to KD? Um, I think it is just due to how obsessed this dude is with his legacy, right? Like mm. he's constantly going at people online. You know, people are going to hate on him. They're probably going at him right now in terms of what's been going on with Team USA and these exhibitions. And I don't think his haters take a break or his critics take a break for over the. Well, neither does he. He had a tweet <laughs> yeah. that said, uh, "Oh, so I forgot to play how to play basketball now." Yeah, LOL, or like something like that. So he cares. I'm surprised he's on this team. I, I'm yeah, me too. He's on here. I don't understand why he's just due to the long period he had in the playoffs. Just with his injury, I just don't get why he signed up for this, to be honest. I think he cares. I think all these guys care. They're competitive. They want to play. These guys, when they play in those, you know, have you seen it, Matt, where in the offseason they'll play in, like, especially during COVID, and totally filing COVID protocol, they'll play like these secret gyms no one knows about somewhere at some undisclosed location. They care when they're playing a pickup game. That means absolutely nothing. So the Olympics was something on the line. They absolutely care. Um, I think it just comes down to, a few things. These guys not being cohesive, I think. And to me, I I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure that we 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 pull this off as a show that we get a journalist that's covered this team for a while because I would like to know how this team was put together because it is like you said, man. It seems highly irregular. It is it, to me. It seems like these guys was put together immediately. Just, I'll just pick these guys here. They agree to it. They want to come on and let's, let's play. Um, which was with Coach K, that's what that's the whole point. I mean, they did, they made sure that the guys that wanted to be on the team, they're on the team before the Olympics and they played in international tournaments so they can go on and defend their gold medal. That's why, um, due to their previous failures, the three gold medals, that's why they were able to pull those off is because they retooled the team. So I don't know why we're going backwards in this situation. And um, I think you're right, man, in terms of the talent, in terms of Damian Lillard, you know, Kevin Durant, you know, they're going to get Chris Middleton, um, Devin Booker in terms of pure talent. But in terms of cohesiveness, guys being banked up from the season, other guys that don't maybe play in the playoffs, having more rest, maybe the other teams have more of an advantage. And I think the days, I think if the international competition was super inferior, I would have more of a problem with this. If, but the competition is not inferior. They're playing tough teams, you know, every single night. And I mean, look at, you're going to have Luca. <laughs> yeah, he's not playing for team USA. I mean, he's playing for his home country. So, you know, that's where, you know, team USA is going to have to really worry about, you know, these other teams where that wasn't a factor anymore, where, you know, you take a look. I mean, if Giannis is going to play for his home team after the finals, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But hypothetically, let's say he does. You know, you have a you know MVP winner and then a future MVP candidate. They're not playing for Team USA. That's unheard of, right? In terms of you know Team USA's competition. So I'm not worried about this. I think the guys are taking it serious. I think they'll be bummed out if they lose. And I think there's other extenuating circumstances. COVID. They lose Bradley Beal. That's a huge loss. So mm-hmm. all those are factors and who knows what's going to happen over there. I mean, they're traveling to, you know, Japan and maybe other players get in COVID protocol, even though maybe they're vaccinated still, even if they're, you know, mildly showing symptoms. I mean, the, what I understand is with the, the folks over there in Japan are taking it very seriously. So they might be out for a certain amount of games that might throw things out of wagon. It might get a, it might get a pass quite honestly, if they lose, if they, 
if that's half players out for COVID protocol, could be a blessing in disguise. Kind of give him a, a get out of free, you know, jail card. I kind of speak, you know, in terms of, you know, if they lose Durant hypothetically or they lose, you know, um, Draymond Green or any other players, if they get pushed back for COVID protocols and they have to play with a roster that they don't necessarily envision having on on the court, maybe fans are giving them a pass this Olympics and, you know, you have to focus on the next Olympic cycle. So overall, I'm not worried about this. I'm, it makes it more compelling to me as a viewer. I'm looking forward to seeing it just because – we have a team USA that you know has a lot of pressure. The competition is better. I'm look as I said before. I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out as compared to before. It's kind of like expected for them to win, so the games were boring. So, yeah, I mean, for me as as an as an, an American and a fan of USA basketball, sure. you know, I I partially joked about this in our in our friends chat. So you've heard this line before, sure. but playoff basketball. I want the games to be close international basketball i still want us winning by 30 <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh but you're right i mean it is it is more compelling to watch uh, to have competitive games of, of mm-hmm. course um yeah i i don't see the players getting a pass even if like kd is out for covid protocol stuff like that i just think when you're team usa basketball and the history of the past you know 30 years i i don't think it, it's going to be huge news if if we don't place first i mean even if we're second i think people are going to rip the team both here domestically and internationally that's part of what comes with having a great tradition though i mean it's it's like you know when duke basketball loses in the first or second round of the tournament they get ripped it'll be the same thing for us um but you know that that comes with the territory. I mean, don't don't play on the team if if you don't want that kind of pressure. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I I agree with with a lot of what you said there. I, I don't have much else to add as far as uh, Team USA goes. We'll look forward to seeing those games and hopefully uh, those players joining with the team can gel with them really quickly and and we get a a good cohesive team uh, headed over to Japan. Yeah, it's gonna be weird. Is this gonna? It's the whole Olympics. This is gonna be strange. No fans. Mm-hmm. Um, like we, like Alicia Gray told us, they're playing. You know, their tournament. Then they're headed home. I mean, that that sucks. I mean, I, I felt so sorry. I, that kind of broke my heart. I was like, oh man, that's a bummer. Because I think she was on the Olympics before, but that's still that sucked just to hear that. Like that's a huge part of the experience. Is this the Olympic Village and watching the yeah. other sports is like a once in a lifetime opportunity and you gotta go home after your games plays. Basically you're playing in a tournament. You know, it's not really the Olympics. I mean it has the name it's a name only. Um so it sucks just to hear that. So yeah, I mean it's a bummer enough that it was delayed a year because yeah. of everything that happened and, sure. and now this no fans. Um yeah, really unfortunate but it is what it is. Yeah, um, sure. So hopefully <laughs> Team USA can rise to the occasion and absolutely go Alicia Gray. <laughs> go three on three teams. Absolutely. Um, I think that's going to wrap everything up. Did you have anything else, Matt, you want to touch on? No, we got game five is tomorrow night again on ABC. That's going to be obviously a, a very pivotal game in determining where this series goes. So a lot to look forward to. We also have a ton of news that, as you know, Justin, we didn't even touch on today because there's so much happening in the NBA yeah. right now. Uh, we will get to some of that on uh, Sunday or early next week. 
uh, breaking down that news for you guys. We've got new coaches. We've got, we found out Kawhi had an ACL tear, a lot of stuff to talk about that we'll get to in the next episode. Always appreciate you guys listening. We are members of the off the glass podcast network. You can check us out there. OTGbasketball.com. Any comments, feedbacks, questions, hoopsologypod at gmail.com is our email. Follow us. Justin, you're at Justin time 16 on Twitter. I'm at hoopsology. Matt is you get up. Wait, let me get it right. Here you go. Down here. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) And of course, follow our page for even more content at Hoopsology Pod on Twitter. Agreed. And then check out our interviews too. Um, Interviews with Alicia Gray, um, JJ Buck, JR Giddens, and speaking of JR, um, tomorrow the Enchantment TBT team, they will be in action. The tournament has started. Oh, yeah. Um, so if you're watching this um, either July 17th or maybe wherever this video gets uploaded, that team will be in action. So check them out. Uh, we have tons of interviews with Pete Corrado, Matt Sullivan, um, just tons of interviews um, just covering we have recaps of um, several teams this seasons, not to mention some WNBA, some TBT. So everything covering the gamut of basketball, we got you covered. Yep. Always a pleasure, Justin. Yeah. Thank you everyone for listening. We will see you next time. See you later. Enjoy the Peace. finals.